Hey guys, I'm Jackie Brubaker, your host of That Girl, the podcast. I'm an author, performer, two-time Emmy Award winner, human relationship specialist, and founder of the wellness website, loveyouevenmore.com. Each week, I bring on inspiring people and experts in their field to have powerful, motivational, and enlightened conversations about relationships, self-development, and how you can live your most authentic life. Follow us for daily updates on myself and the podcast at That Girl the Podcast and at Jackie Brubaker on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and our Patreon page. While you're at it, make sure to check out my new wellness website, loveyouevenmore.com. If you're wanting to dig into developing more self-worth, be healthier about relationships, and learn how to date smarter, go to loveyouevenmore.com and follow us on Instagram at loveyouevenmore. Okay. Welcome, Ms. Terry Cole, to That Girl, the podcast. I am so excited to have you on. I'm going to read your bio, which I don't normally do, but it was such a good one. (laughs) Terry Cole is a licensed psychotherapist, global relationship and empowerment expert, and the author of Boundary Boss, The Essential Guide to True Talk, Talk True, Be Seen, and Finally, live free. For over two decades, Terry has worked with a diverse group of clients that include everyone from stay-at-home moms to celebrities and Fortune 500 CEOs. She has a gift for making complex psychological concepts accessible and actionable so that clients and students achieve sustainable change. She inspires, including myself, over 450,000 people weekly through her blog, social media platform, signature courses, and her popular podcast, The Terry Cole Show. Welcome, Terry. I'm just so excited to have you. Well, thank you so much for having me, Jacqueline. Oh, thank you for saying my name fully and correctly. People (laughs) usually say Jacqueline and I'm like, all right, Mm -mm. (laughs) but no, it is. It's Jacqueline. Thank you. See, it's already there. All right. (laughs) So I was just saying to you, I found you on a podcast with Mark Groves talking about codependency, which is something that I've been studying for a long time, but, and boundaries, of course, but with codependency, you really put, like pinpointed something that I had never actually like uncovered. I had never really found out about. And that is the high functioning codependent, which is me, which is me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I'd love to just dive into that and talk about how boundaries are so connected to codependency and what exactly a high functioning codependent is. Excellent. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that tee up. I'm happy to. One of my favorite topics is codependency. So let's break it down. So I think there's a lot of confusion about codependency. Mm -hmm. And according to me, codependency is when you are overly invested in the feeling states, the outcomes, the circumstances, the decisions of the people in your life to the detriment of your own internal peace to the detriment of your own financial, physical, um, emotional, let's say, spiritual well-being. And I say that because all of us are lovers. We're all invested in the people we love being happy. I mean, this is part of being in relationships. But if the other person's unhappiness feels like it's your problem to fix or becomes your unhappiness, that's when you know that there's codependency afoot, so to speak. Mm -hmm. When I was coming up, In my own therapeutic journey, I did not identify with the traditional explanation of codependency. This was very Melody Beatty, codependent no more. You have to be enabling an addict. And I was like, okay, I'm not doing any of those things. But the truth was my behavior was codependent. So what I ended up uncovering in my practice, I went from being, you know, I I used to be a talent agent negotiating contracts for supermodel celebrities. I quit that industry because I wanted to help people. My own therapeutic journey changed my life so much. I was like, oh my God, wait. So you could just like learn about yourself and then change what's not working. That's unbelievable. Why isn't everybody doing it? (laughs) So I decided I would get on that side and start helping people. But what I started seeing was that the same flavor of codependency that I suffered from, which was overgiving, overdoing, overfunctioning, being just the all-time fix-it person Mm -hmm. 
that that is what my clients were coming in and presenting as. And when I would say, hey, what you're describing is a codependent dynamic, they'd be like, are you nuts? What? I'm not dependent on squat lady. Everyone's dependent on me. I make all the money. I'm making all the decisions. I'm fixing everyone's problems. What are you talking about? And I was like, oh my God, my clients don't understand what codependency is. So think about it this way. Codependency is when you're doing all of those things, right? Being overly invested in and helping and you're the one your friend calls and you're just like, okay, I'm Googling. I'm calling my friend for you. They have a problem and you're immediately putting fixing into motion, but you are very highly capable. Mm -hmm. So what ends up happening is we're doing all the codependent actions, but we make everything look easy because we are so competent and capable in life. And so that's why my clients didn't identify with being codependent. And that's why I didn't. And so I actually created the moniker high functioning codependency. And I have my own explanation for it because listen codependency is not like a diagnosable thing right so you, you know nobody's getting a diagnosis of codependency this is dysfunctional behavioral patterns relational patterns so what i saw over and over again is that it wasn't just in relationships with someone you're very deeply involved with it could be and in my own life it was with everyone i was overfunctioning i was an auto accommodator yeah. to others i was Jumping in, I immediately had the quote unquote answers for other people because their discomfort and pain made me so uncomfortable. Of course, that's not what I thought was happening. I thought I was just being like <laughs> Mother Teresa, but come come to find yeah. out that at its two things at its core. So this will relate it to the boundaries. But one thing is that at its base, high functioning codependency is a covert or overt bid for control. Yeah. We don't want the friend to make the mistake and marry the idiot. We don't want this person, even though they called in sick to work because they were drunk again, we will lie for them because we don't want them to get fired. It's like trying to save people from themselves, but really, again, saving ourselves from the chaos mm. that other people's mistakes create for our internal peace. We don't, we don't want our internal peace to be disturbed is really what's happening. So a lot of people don't identify or associate codependency with control, but it is definitely there. And inherent in codependency are disordered boundaries because we are endlessly stepping over someone else's boundaries. You have the over-functioning and under-functioning dynamic right. that is very prevalent in codependent relationships, right? So I have, I have it broken down into categories like codependent behavior. I put into the category of like the overfunctioning behavior, doing more than your share in your friendships at work, in your family of origin, right? Maybe you're the hero child. Mm -hmm. So it was all like on you to organize and do all the things. So there's that piece. And then you have the relationships, like the, the important relationships in your life. Let's say it's a romantic relationship where one person tends to overfunction, and that's usually the people who are in my crew are the ones who are doing all the things, right. all the emotional labor, making sure everyone has what they need. The other person tends to underfunction, but the relationship tends to be um, organized around the needs of the underfunctioner. Hmm. And what I can say about being an overfunctioner is that I had the skill, special skill set, to be able to take a perfectly functioning human being in a relationship and literally inspire them to underfunction because of the amount I was overfunctioning where I was like, I got it. I'll do it. I got it. I got it. I'm doing it. I got it. I got it. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you feel identified with that? Yep. <laughs> and so again, it isn't, we're not blaming anyone. It's about if you don't want to be codependent, it's about understanding what's driving your behavior and what are you doing? So if you're watching this or listening to this and you're like, I don't know if I am this or not that. So I'll give you a scenario. Your best friend calls you. She's got what in her mind is a crisis. How long does it take for that crisis to become yours? Mm. Check your urgency. If you are activated to the degree that you're like, Hey man, this is now my problem. <laughs> like literally I'm dropping all things and I'm only doing this yeah. to help my friend. But again, it's feeling like it's on you to fix. 
Because let's briefly, and then I'll let you ask all your questions, but let's briefly talk oh, about no, what- Girl, what you the, just keep going. This is just gold. <laughs> <laughs> just go. <laughs> that you, you know, like what are the problems with doing this, right? With jumping in, with, with unconsciously or consciously believing we have the answer. We are the savior, right? right? We are the ones. What we're really doing is A, telling other people in our life, we actually think that we know what they should do more than they know what they should do. Even if they don't know what they should do, it's their life to figure out, right? And this is what shifted it for me in my 20s, where I really was like, oh my God, I was trying not to self-judge, but I was like, wow, that's gross. Um, Where what I was doing was centering myself in the other person's circumstance. Mm. They're in a situation And I would come in and be like, I have the answer. I'll make the phone calls. I've got the resources. I've got the, but think about what that really is. It was me centering myself rather than, so let's flip it. What would it look like if we don't do that? We could still be present for our friend. Mm -hmm. And then we ask expansive questions and we come at it from the point of view that my friend knows or doesn't know what they need to do more than I know or do not know what they need to do. So what would that look like? It would look like saying, okay, tell me what your gut instinct says. What is your feeling? Mm -hmm. Can you say more about that? If you did know, what would it be? Right. If you did know the answer for yourself, what would it be? Mm -hmm. Um, Are we brain, you know, let's let's brainstorm this, but again, it's having faith and, and the, what, I, what I'm always communicating now, uh, you know, decades later, is that I have total faith that my friends and my sisters and the people that I love are fully capable of managing their own lives. Mm-hmm. And that really it was understanding that I was trying to tie their problem up in a neat bow for mm-hmm. my own comfort that really shifted something for me where I was like, how about I step back and realize what a boundary is emotionally and realize what's happening to them isn't happening to me. And that who do I think I am? I had a therapist who basically was like, let me ask you something. Cause I was obsessing about some, something that happened with one of my sisters and a decision she made. I'm staying in this bad relationship. And my therapist said, what makes you think, you know, what she needs to learn in this lifetime. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, but I was like, well, I I think we could agree. She doesn't need to learn it with this abusive idiot. And she was like, I cannot agree because I have no idea what your sister needs to learn. And literally neither do you. You're just uncomfortable because you've worked so hard to create a peaceful life because you don't like conflict, because you don't like her being in pain because you love her, but it's not yours to fix. And so from that situation, I stepped back. And my sister eventually got in touch, said, hey, yes, because I, I also, when I stepped back, I was like, hey, but if you ever want to get out, I'm still your person. And she got in touch, said, yes, I want to get out. And I was like, okay, I'm getting in my car to come get you. But what the difference in what happened in that scenario was that she didn't need me to save her. Mm. So I don't have to be the hero of my sister's story. She got to be the hero of her own story. And yes, I was there to appropriately support her as a sister, but instead of it suddenly being about me being the amazing hero child who does all the right things and la la la, mm-hmm. it was about her. And now that is transformation that can stick. Not if it's something that I made happen. Make sense? Mm-hmm. It does. Oh gosh, you guys, I know you're all listening and just mouths dropped. Um, The control aspect, I think, is the thing for me personally that is so obvious when you first brought that up, when I first heard you talk about that. And since hearing that, you know, I've, I've been dealing with some, some family, you know, issues, like really heavy stuff. And I am so codependent to my mother and we're quite close and we love each other, but we are Mm -hmm. very codependent. And Mm -hmm. this is like something I've been working on for years. But in this particular instance, my grandmother, you know, needs to go to assisted living. It's very difficult. Mm-hmm. People have been there. It's it's hard. 
And all I kept doing was trying to run the show because I knew how to do it. And I am such a fixer. I am so... I think it's really interesting that your career before this was as a talent agent, because that's exactly what you do. You were like, hold on, let me put everybody together with everyone else and I will conduct the the orchestra. And I am fully like that as well. I'm a producer. It's so natural to be like, Mm -hmm. no, 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 I've got all the, I'll make it happen. But with my mother, after I heard you talk about that, it was this huge light bulb. I was like, what if I did just let her do this? And I instantly knew like, this is not my, like you said, lifetime to figure out. This isn't my karma. These aren't my lessons. This is between her and her mother. And I can be there to support, but I was way too involved and way too invested. And I think that can be confusing for people because it's your family. Shouldn't you be involved? Shouldn't you overcare? Shouldn't you do everything you can to help? But that's exactly what boundaries are about and how you can have better relationships, especially with your family or the closest people to you, is by instantly just figuring out where your place is right. and stop over-functioning. And the moment I did that, I watched her start making decisions. Like she wasn't making any decisions and I was so uh-huh. confused. I'm like, just, just do something. Like I will do something, anything, like somebody do something. And she started making decisions and I just said, okay, I trust your decision. And she like needed to hear that so badly. Mm -hmm. And I felt so good knowing that, like you said, she got it. She really got it. And now on her own, because I backed up and stopped basically enabling her to not make Mm -hmm. a decision Yep. My grandmother's doing much better and everything is like working itself out. And I'm not stressed out over here feeling like this is my circus. And that, that alone, just being like, this is not mine to control. And I'm going to step mm-hmm. back was life changing. And also what you, it's so important. That's like a perfect um, story to illustrate what we're talking about. But what's so important is the, the gift that it is to have faith in your mother's ability. Mm-hmm. And so you let yourself out of overfunctioning prison and resentment prison too. Yeah. Because we're like, why? Why can't you just get it together? Well, if you would yeah. step back, what do they say? Nature abhors a vacuum, right? So now there's room mm-hmm. for your mother to step forward mm-hmm. or anyone for that matter. And I think that what you were saying is, you know, we get this conditioning, like if you're really a good family member, if you're really loving, then you'll do all the things. It's not true because here's the thing. You can stay lovingly attached as you just explained to your mother and your grandmother and not suddenly be like the CFO of the whole thing. Like you don't have to be running that Mm -hmm. situation. And it's really, the truth is it's not for you. Mm-hmm. to be running because the most appropriate person to make those decisions if your grandmother is not fully capable is your mother yeah. and so it's almost like we, we mess up the I did family constellation therapy I don't know if people know what this is it's too hard to explain but you might know what it is do you know what it is where I don't actually but I, I mean I have a vague idea of what it might be it, it's about how with the people in our lives we share an energetic field mm-hmm. and that there so there's a family constellation meaning if I have three older sisters in a regular family constellation, it would be like the oldest sister, the next, the next, the next. I was the designated oldest child, which means that even though I was chronologically the youngest, I was the oldest making decisions and doing all of these things. And so I, when I did family constellation therapy, And I was resentful of that position that went along with the hero child that I was in an alcoholic family. So, I mean, there was a lot of reasons why I was in that position, but it's friggin' exhausting. I'm like, I don't like, I don't want to be the one on the hook for all these things. I want more support, but I was so controlling. It was really hard to allow other people to support. And in the family constellation, we were able to sort of write the order, which was interesting where this very skilled clinician who was sort of helping me and you have people representing the people in your family in the constellation. You're actually watching it happen. And there was something 
so beautiful and relieving when the constellation got back in order, meaning my oldest sister, then my next sister, then my next sister, and then me, where that is how it's supposed to be. And when we overfunction and overdo and become really controlling in our own very sweet and subtle way, because here's another thing, we're so good at what we do that like people, we've convinced ourselves we're doing it because we're nice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And other people, in a way, feel like, oh, she just wants to help. But when you can see that at the core of that, there was a need to control, that is something to really look at. And hey, a lot of times these unhealthy patterns, and and in my own life, they get established in childhood because they're adaptive in childhood. My sisters, you know, my oldest sisters were going through drug stuff. And so I sort of became that because there was a vacuum and there was a need for it. So I think that understanding that we grow up just because it's always been a particular way doesn't mean that that's the best way and doesn't mean that that's the healthy way because those adaptive, um, that adaptive functioning that can start in childhood can become really maladaptive in adulthood. So I think it's so prudent for anyone listening or watching this to really look at, are you an overfunctioner? Are you a high-functioning codependent because there's so much that you can do you're you're not like destined to have this be your life if you don't want it to be as you know Gwendolyn was just sharing it's like you know you can you you can do it yourself right yeah and it can happen quickly too um I think the other thing that you know especially with high functioning codependent women is that we are such high achievers in our lives and again that's making up for the fact that something is not great in childhood. So we just, we're the A student, we're the CEO, we're the person who has so many accomplishments. People are like, how do you have time to do all of it? And like, that's totally me. And it's funny. I've one of my oldest and best guy friends is like, yeah, but like, I never worry about you. Cause you're always fine. Even, even if I'm like, no, I'm really scared. I don't know what I'm doing. And he's like, no, no, no. You're always, you're always fine though. And that's exactly what happens is that you're so used to making everything. Okay. That in that moment when you're like, no, I could actually really use some help or like some guidance or support, like somebody help me. They're like, well, no, no, you could just give yourself your own uh, guidance. You're fine. And that's difficult too, because, Mm -hmm. you know, you do feel the resentment and then you just feel really lonely because you've worked so hard. Now you're just like, who's who's going to help me? <laughs> right. You know, Jacqueline, it's so funny because it's like, that's so common. Your experience is so common where, and, and people think it's a compliment. I remember my mother saying to me when I was <laughs> 17, you know, I trust you. And I was like, <laughs> you shouldn't. I'm a I'm, child. <laughs> I'm 17. I look 25. I've not been, I've been getting into bars since I was 13. Like, oh my God. I don't know. You trust me based on what it's easier for you to trust me, but I am still a child. I just remember thinking, mm. why? I, just because I haven't gotten caught. I've done everything my sisters have done. That is bad. <laughs> yeah. I just haven't gotten caught. Yeah. And I think the uh, part of it though, when you think about why, why we do that, why, why we, it's so hard because another element of high functioning codependency is that it's really hard to ask for help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hard to allow help even when you want to. I don't know if it's, there's a lot of reasons over the years I've come to that why this is afraid of being a burden on people, afraid of owing someone, mm-hmm. afraid of taking up space. Yeah, We're so happy to do for others. And I remember my mother saying to me when I I met my husband and we were dating and I definitely prior to my husband didn't want to get married. I was already in my early thirties. I was like, yeah, no, all these unexamined minds are super uninteresting and my life is awesome. So either someone who's had 20 years of therapy or nobody. Anyway, so we start dating. (laughs) Really? Yes, exactly. I'm like, you better be worth it. Cause like I'm busy and happy and it, you've got to be really emotionally intelligent in order to date me now. So same, same. And here's the thing. When The moment I made that decision, though, that I was okay with my, the life that, the party that was my life, I had built such a beautiful, I have such a beautiful life, but I built it. it. My life is more beautiful now because of it, my husband of 25 years. But here's the thing. It was beautiful before that. And it was the moment that I was like, I don't need to be partnered 
to be valuable. I don't need to get married. Like that's someone else's bullshit idea of my value. My, I'm valuable right now. My life is perfectly fine. And it has to be someone who's going to bring something that I cannot do for myself. Like you need to be someone super special mm-hmm. and you need to know a feeling from a front footer. Like mm-hmm. I'm not having any more of these conversations with people who've never even thought about why they are the way they are. Oh, no. And from that moment forward, when I let that go and I was like, I'm cool being single forever. I don't even care. I'll have lovers. I'll travel. It doesn't matter. I'm not kidding. Understanding my own sort of love blueprint within six months, I met my husband yeah. and I don't think I ever would have even, he was 10 years older than me. He was widowed. He was divorced. He had three teenage sons. Like there was a whole thing where, it, right. <laughs> you know, when they say, write down your list of 75 things, <laughs> trust me, none of those things would have been on my list, but you know, he was the right match for me because he had so much to bring. Anyway, long way around the barn to get back to the story I was going to tell, which is that my mother said, you know, Vic would always be like, oh, I'll, I'll come pick you up. Now he lived in Jersey. I was living on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And I'm like, he's going to get in his car, drive from Jersey, pick me up and then drive all the way the hell back to New Jersey because I'm going back with him. Makes no sense. Like I'm all about efficiency, right? I'm like, I'll just take the train, babe. Don't, don't even worry about it. <laughs> my mother was like, let me ask you something. Uh, why don't you, like, it's okay for you to do all the nice things in the world for him. But why every time when this guy is trying to do something nice for you, you don't allow him? I want you to think about it this way. Everything that he wants to do to make your life easier, picture it like a little Tiffany's box he's handing to you. And every time you're like, no, I got it. You're literally like throwing that box on the ground and stomping on it. Yeah. Would you ever do that? I was like, of course not. And she's like, what, what are you so afraid of? Mm. And I was like, when do you get so smart, Jenny Cole? I was like, <laughs> I don't know, whatever. And then I started allowing. And I was like, oh my God, it's a control thing, mm-hmm. right? It's like, if I allowed him to really add value to my life, to do for me so I could actually exhale in the world ever, like even one time, then what would happen if he screwed me over? Like, oh. would I survive it, right? It would yeah. be so devastating, but it was worth the risk. Because, well, he didn't screw me over, but, you know, and I, and I don't think that, that that fear hopefully isn't the thing that stops us, but there's something about staying in control and that it feels so scary, at least it did for me, mm-hmm. to, to not be in control. But here's the thing, Con- that whole thing with control, it's just an illusion anyway. Like we're actually not really that much in control of that much. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I think I got off topic, but no, I wanted I to it. say it. I'm I'm listening and I feel you in all of this. I feel like I may be related to you at this point. Um <laughs> <laughs> I am your long lost like relative. Um no, I'm I'm very much practicing relinquishing control. I've been doing mm-hmm. this since November. It's been very conscious in my mind. And also receiving, which is very difficult in whatever con- context. And you're right, asking for help is very difficult. And I really do feel that my life has, so I really think that the universe is like, well, here's some hints of what we'd like you to do. Now you should probably take those hints and do them. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We're fine. I'm good. Mm -mm, We're good. And then it just gets a little bit more pressure and a little bit more pressure until it's like, Mm -hmm. fine, that's it. We're taking everything away, deal with it. And now it's like, I've, I've gotten that far because I'm stubborn. And so Mm -hmm. I am now learning how to receive learning how to ask for help, learning what it would feel like if, you know, there was a partner that is worthy of, you know, that I'm looking for that I really want, because I am so there. Like everyone's like, don't you want to be with someone? I'm like, I'm fine. Seriously. I'm really happy. And that's not a, Mm -hmm. a joke or a play or anything. I'm, I'm actually just really content. And if I have a partner I want it to be a real partner. And again, I'm in the same boat. I'm like, I don't even need the circus wedding. I don't want that. I just want to be happy. But all of that takes time to get to, especially if you are always trying to control everything. Like you said, it's like you're stomping on a Tiffany box of just service. He's trying to just give you love in these beautiful ways that are Mm -hmm. simple and real and based in reality. And you're like, I don't know what that is. Bye-bye. Like it's, it's, yep. I don't know. Like we would recognize if it were an actual Tiffany box versus I'm going to drive from Jersey to Manhattan, which is crazy that he was doing mm-hmm. that. <laughs> and he would always say, I'm going to come, let, let me come scoop you up. 
And I was like, that's so sweet. And I started just letting him like, would it make my life easier after working as a talent agent for like 15 hours straight for someone to come scoop me up and me just walk out of my apartment and jump in a car? Yeah, Mm -hmm. it did make my life easier. Mm -hmm. And it didn't matter that it was less efficient. It was an act of service from him to me. I think here's the thing about codependency though. And I think that part of the, my own resistance too, is that it took a long time in therapy to understand my own codependent nature so that I didn't want to get into a relationship and lose myself in the relationship. Right. Right. So it was (laughs) amazing to be alone because there wasn't the risk of that. And then I had done so much work by the time I met my husband, I was like, even though I was, I would start those things, but he was so effective, efficient, and capable himself. He'd raised three kids by himself until I got there. Like, I was like, this guy does not need me. He was very successful in his own career. I was like, this dude does not need me managing him, Mm -hmm. right? He's, He's been doing it for a long time before I even got here. And that was scary, but also felt great. Like I didn't have to work so hard to become irreplaceable right? Because of, I was utilitarian because I was doing something. I was doing something, but I was doing it out of love, not out of fear. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, mothering the boys, doing what I was doing, right? Because I loved Vic and by, you know, then I loved those three kids and I still do, Mm -hmm. you know? So it, it was like a shift in mentality, but I could also see in your position, sort of in a way resisting getting into a relationship. If the fear is I'm going to then be managing the crap out of this relationship in this person. So I think it, it makes so much sense to be doing what you're doing, right? Get on this healing path of being like, huh, what are the past behaviors in relationships? As we're talking about high functioning, codependency, overfunctioning, overgiving, controlling, all, all the emotional labor. Let's really get clear about those things. And then only invite in relationships that are aligned with what it is that you want. And I remember thinking, I was so done dating. Like I was so done. People wanted to fix me up, this one, that one. And I remember one of my friends was like, "Um, well, you know, I I have the same friend. I have two stories about the same friend. She's like, so I'm someone I'm going to set you up with, but I lied about your age. I was like, well, that's ridiculous. So bye-bye. Why did you lie? Well, you're 28 and they're 26, whatever it is. I was like, all right, stop projecting your age phobia onto me because I don't care. And if they care, I don't want to go out with them. That was another thing. She also was like, you know, I think that if you were a little less loud and cursed less, maybe a little more demure, it might be better for the dating scene. I was like, dude, how long do you think I could pretend to be demure? Maybe three dates, not even. And why the fuck would I want to? I don't want to. But that's what I was up against, where I was like Mm. feeling not good enough. When I got to the point where I was like, I'm good on my own. I remember the second date with my husband, second date. He's like, so, so what do you want? I literally was like, I want someone who's open to having more biological kids. I want someone who wants a second house. that's like a lake house. I want someone who wants to travel. I want someone who's a good sharer because I love a lot of people and I can't have someone who's insecure and weird and possessive because that doesn't work. I want someone with a good sense of humor. I need someone who makes their own money. Like, I literally just talked for like five minutes straight. And when I was done, he was like, sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) But I never would have done that in the past. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Because you know yourself and you're also not afraid of losing this person that you barely know. I mean, that's right. Like that's the flip of when we are young and dating, we're so like, please, please choose me. Please accept me. Like, like, am I good enough for you? Like you don't even think about like, are they good enough for me? (laughs) And then you do the work finally. And you're just like, I don't know. Do I even want to go on a date with this person? Is it really worth my time? And not, and not in a bitter way or a I'm too good kind of way. It's really just are you someone I would even want to spend a couple hours talking to? Yes. Yeah. Again, as you said, like if you haven't done any work on yourself and you're just showing up like, oh, I've never thought of that before. Obviously it's just wasted time and two people are not supposed to be together, but yeah, it's, it's such a shift. And I, 
I want to talk about the last chapter in your book because I was reading it on the plane as I was going to Connecticut. And um, I went this last weekend to a women's summit and spoke and um, my whole talk was so much what you were saying in your last chapter of your book, Boundary Boss. And which is when you've done so much of this healing and it's like, for, by the way, it's like forever, you guys, it's not like, oh, I'm healed and everything's fine. Like <laughs> you're consistently tested and, you know, like, let's see which, which door you can choose. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a forever kind of thing, but you know, you're, it gets easier and it just becomes more natural and you are more confident, but it's that beautiful confidence of, you know, what did I love to do when I was young? And I was reading this. I swear to God, I thought I was reading my talk in your last chapter. I was like, this is nuts. I like, wow. oh, I just got teary out. I'm like, this is so meant to be. I can't believe it. But we think back when we, when we get secure in our adult self, you start thinking about, gosh, what really does make me happy? Mm-hmm. What did make me happy? And I loved that you brought up go visit things from childhood, try it out again, you know, see if that works for you. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. And that's certainly my journey is that I, you know, trained to do musical theater and Broadway, like Mm -hmm. well into like, you know, the beginning of college, but I had had this like horrific me too experience in that Mm -hmm. world in high school. I was just so messed up from it that I, I just couldn't move forward. I I just really Mm -hmm. was really messed up. So it's taken me a really long time to heal and like even recognize that that trauma was stuck (laughs) Mm -hmm. and to have it come up and like start processing and even start getting back into that world. And it's only been about a year and a half that I've been like tiptoeing back, Mm -hmm. but it is that would never have happened had I not been doing the work on myself as a codependent and boundaries and really like saying like, this is what I need. This is what I'm expecting in my life. And I won't take Mm -hmm. less. And now you can go for what you really, really want because Mm -hmm. you, it's like, you're filling your, your own well up again with the confidence that you've been just giving away and like all the energy you've been giving away to everybody else to make sure everyone's cool and everybody's happy. And I feel secure because you're secure and everybody's fine. You're, you're exhausted. And you're like, what, what do I want? So I would love just to hear what you feel about all of that. Cause that really just, I loved that chapter so much. <laughs> well, I love that you loved it. And I think that part of this whole process of becoming a boundary boss, recognizing where we're being codependent in our lives and where we're, it's really most of us. And I say this in the book and I've said this many times, but we were raised and praised for being self-abandoning codependents. And part of where you get to by the end of the book, and if anyone wants the book, go to boundarybossbook.com because I still have lots of bonuses for you. Um, It's you come back to yourself, right? So realizing that energy in, looking inward, how you feel, what you think, what you want matters. And it can't be, I just want to avoid conflict, right? It can't just be that. I just want to not be rejected by others. It can't be that, right? Because that's a dysfunctional desire. That's a fear-driven desire. We're really talking about in the last chapter of the book is owning, right? Embodying what brings you joy. And that it can be, you know, going back to auditioning for Broadway stuff. And it can also be doing something closer to home. It can also be going to an open mic and just having the courage to let your singing voice be heard. The joy of sharing your joy, taking those steps and those actions towards what really is your truest heart's desire, whether it's as a profession or whether it's just because it feels good, right? right? That's another thing about going back to childhood things is we were not always so fucking efficient about things like, well, I what what else will that give me? How about it will give me joy? That right. should be a damn good reason to do it, you know? But it's coming back to ourselves and realizing that it doesn't matter, right? We can't build our lives on what other people think of us, of, of other people's judgment. There's this whole thing I, I, I talk, I actually just gave a keynote somewhere and I was giving this talk about women coming to me in their sixth, seventh, eighth decade of life, having done all the things, 
money's good. Kids went to Ivy League, got a kid, one kid's getting an MBA, one's becoming a doctor, whatever the things are. Doing lots of philanthropic work, working out three times a week, seeing their girlfriends, they still like their spouse, traveling. And they're like, um, hi, why do I feel so empty? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, because you built your whole friggin' life on checking boxes that other people thought they were the boxes you should check. And you were existentially lonely because nobody friggin' knows you. You don't even know you yeah. at this point. Like we're sold this bill of goods that if we do these things, we'll feel this way. But in the last chapter of the book, we're talking about coming back to you deciding what are the things. And when you have healthy boundaries, when you can, when you know your preferences, when you know your limits, when you know your deal breakers, when you can communicate them with ease, with grace, with a little bit of heat, if you need to, this is you being authentic in your life. Mm -hmm. So you won't be one of the people going to a therapist in your 60s or 70s saying, why the hell do I feel so empty? Because you will have built a life built on who you actually are. Mm -hmm. That's so powerful because I've certainly struggled with that. And I know so many women who are like this do. We just, we get the, we get the end, we get the fairy tale end, we get the prize, whatever it is. And it's like, huh? Yeah. (laughs) It's the journey and it's the joy, which is such a, a important word. It's really what is actually giving you real joy? Not, Mm -hmm. oh, praise or, you know, oh, I feel so good and whatever. My kids did this. But the actual joy is is what so many people, I think, just don't examine in their lives. Like simply what makes me feel joyous. And yeah, I, I, it's, it, that is absolutely something I have, I've been working on a lot and I'm very happy to say that I'm, I'm doing well, I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> right on. But the, other, like the other thing too is, and I, I think this might be somewhat connected or maybe I'm going on a tangent, but <laughs> the fear of success is mm. so huge. And people laugh at that. Like, oh, you're afraid of success. Can't you imagine yourself successful in the thing you want to do? And it's like, yeah, I can but now my identity is different and I've never been that identity. And this is the only identity I've ever known. And it's terrifying to get what you want. And mm-hmm. that is part of what keeps people codependent and without boundaries. Cause what if I actually felt joyous doing what I wanted and then I was just doing it and, and that's it, you know, like it seems so simple, but it is terrifying. So could you talk a little bit about the fear of success? <laughs> Yes. Well, let's look at it this way. Fear of success and fear of failure are two sides of the same coin. And that coin is fear of change. Mm -hmm. So that's really what we're afraid of. So from a primal, right, point of view, change meant danger, right? So think about primal times. Mm. Um, So that's one thing, right? If something changed, if your little group moved, it could mean more danger. It could mean you were going to die. So our brains really like the same. <laughs> our brains really want to know what's coming next. But we don't live in a time where change is like a saber-toothed tiger is about to rip your head off, right? That's, those are not the times we live in. So we have to look at our relationship to change and look at our relationship to success. Here's the thing. What I find in my practice, because I've had so many women just like you in my practice, highly successful but good. Like we just want to be good. We want to be good children. We want to be good siblings. We want to be good partners. We want to be good friends. We just want to be good to everybody. That the fear of success is like, who will my success threaten? Yes. That is it. That is it. Mike, dry. That's it. Yep. And then, then I have to make my success less than it is. I diminish it. I don't own it. I go, it's no, listen, if you had had the breaks I had, I'm just lucky. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I had a therapist years ago, one of my first therapists, and I was running a talent agency. I was in my early thirties. It was like, I had was super ambitious and I had a big job and I was making a ton of cash. And anytime we talked about it, I would say, I, I just, I was always just right in the right place at the right time. Like, I'm just really lucky. And she's like, let me ask you something. Do you work hard? I was like, Yeah. Do you know anyone in this business? Is that how you you got the position you're in? I'm like, no. <laughs> She's like, I know. So why do you keep saying you're lucky? 
She's like, do you notice that about yourself? Do you notice that you love to attribute your success to luck? It's not luck, Tara. It's hard work. Mm -hmm. Why are you disavowing it? And I was like, holy crap, I didn't know I was. And she's like, who don't you want to threaten? And I was like, oh, everybody. I don't want to threaten anybody. I don't want to threaten my older sisters, right? I I outperformed my entire family twice. Like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to, you know, the men in my life. I I used to have men in my life where I would have to make myself smaller. Is it possible to be funny, smart, successful, attractive? Yeah. P.S. It is. I am. And I have no bones about it at this, you know, as many decades later. But again, it's not luck. It's by design. My life is by my design. My success is all my own. And I think that there's a point that we have to get to in our lives where we stop thinking that being successful is something to be ashamed of Mm -hmm. and that we need to be in some way, some damsel in distress and that we need saving. I was like, here's the thing. I don't need squat, right? By the time I met my husband, I did not need anything from him. I was like, Hey man, I just like to meet a guy who doesn't need my money. How about that? Like just, (laughs) just have your own money. You don't have to be loaded. Just don't need mine. I mean, kidding, but not really. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And, and being like, I want to find someone who I want, not someone who I need. Yeah. And that made my choice be exactly that, you know, and my mother, because she, you know, she got pregnant she was 19. She had to drop out of college, married. My father was super grateful that he, that, you know, and they were high school sweethearts, but mm. she always felt very indebted that he married her and made a, you know, respectable mm. woman out of her because that was during a time in the late fifties that it was very shameful to get knocked up. They used to lie about when their wedding anniversary was like all of this crap, which is such a, a different life. And I remember my mother saying, you know, Tara, I mean, her message was overt and covert, get an education, make your own money. So that maybe one day love can be a choice and not a need for Mm -hmm. you. That's what I want for you, for it to be a choice. But you don't have to do it if you don't want to. So I actually never felt a lot of pressure to get married. Mm -hmm. But there's something about this success thing that is so worth, you know, Jacqueline, what you're saying, it's so worth exploring and becoming radically curious without judgment of your own and everybody listening, your own, if this resonates with you relationship to success and the thought of success because there are many family systems that don't think even now that this kind of success is for women there are cultural systems that still think you should not i was just interviewing um uh, Lisa uh, Bilyeu, the from, you know, she has Women of Impact is her thing. And oh. she's from a Greek Orthodox family. And she was basically telling a totally true story about fighting with her father about what she was going to major in in college. Mm-hmm. And that she wanted it to be like entertainment production type of thing. And then they fought for two weeks. And then finally he was like, listen, it's fine. Do whatever you want. It's not going to matter because you're going to get married anyway. And then that's your job. And she's like, and Terry, he wasn't saying it to be me. <laughs> like, it's really the truth of what he believed was the correct way to be. Mm-hmm. So a lot of us are going up against these familial and cultural norms that we have to look at and go, nah, yeah, that's not for me, you know? Yeah, I've absolutely felt that, um, again, love my mom to death, but she very recently said to me in her own panicked state, do you want to be like her best friend who got married at 63 for the first time? Like, do you really want that to happen to you? Like if like a threat. And I was like, I can't believe you would say that about her. By the way, her best friend is amazing. She's incredible. I was like, yeah, if that's when I meet my partner, then that's when I will get married. I'm like, how dare you threaten me with your, your fear? And right. It is. It's just projected on you because I said this in my talk, the people that love you the most want to keep you small because it keeps them safe, keeps you safe for them. And that is really what it is. It has nothing to do with you, but the more that we allow it to be our life and dictate how far we go, how big we can be. Yeah. 
I mean, and that can take years. It's taken me years to finally get back to what I was really supposed to be doing. And mm-hmm. instead in the, in the interim, I've, I've accomplished all this stuff, like a monkey, like a dancing monkey, like, look at everything <laughs> right. that I did, you know, like, yeah. let me, let me. But you know, it's, yeah, it's just, that wasn't successful to me. It wasn't yeah. really, really what my heart needed or wanted. And that is so sad that it, that it does still exist. And it's thankfully, I, I feel good about our, our newer generations coming up, that that won't always be there. <laughs> But it right. it is so damning because you do, you want, especially your parents, you know, the people that you're closest to, to just approve so badly of like, yep. yeah, you can do this. Like, I believe in you, but also please stay small because my ego is fragile. Yeah. <laughs> and because I'm afraid for you and for myself, you know, I, I actually, um, Jacqueline, I have something for your listeners about this. So it's a special gift. Hold on. And it's going to be about boundaries and codependency, because I think it probably is an epidemic with your listeners as well. Mm -hmm. So you guys can get this at boundaryboss.me forward slash that girl. Oh, perfect. Thank you. Sure. You're going to love it. Well, I have just, so I would talk to you for hours, but I know that you have many important things to be doing. (laughs) Is there anything that you would like to leave with anything that we are just, that we really all need to hear or just something that's really interesting to you right now that could be new as well? Well, part of it is I really want, if you're listening, if this resonates with you, like you're responsible for your life and for your happiness. And as much as when you're a people pleaser, we're always looking out as to what other people think. In the end, right, we come into this life alone and we go out alone. And that might sound depressing, but the reality is you have the power to build a life and relationships that thrill and fulfill you. But you have to be willing to be a little uncomfortable. And maybe you need a kick-ass coach, and that's me. And I wrote a whole book for you. Go to BoundaryBossBook.com. <laughs> Yep. I'm walking through every step of the way of what you need to do. And keep in mind, most of this stuff are baby steps. We're, we're shifting everything in a very small, doable, gentle way. This isn't like we're suddenly confronting everyone in our life, but it's really about you knowing that you are worth knowing. And if you never get your boundaries shit together, people will not authentically know you. And if they don't authentically know you, how can anyone ever authentically love you? If you're going out there sort of erecting this false self and not telling the truth, saying yes when you want to say no, people pleasing all over town, that will not produce the life that you deserve. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. I am so grateful to have met you and just thank you so much for all of your words of wisdom. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Remember, sharing is caring. Make sure to rate the podcast and leave a review. We really rely on this to help get the podcast out there. Also, make sure to watch the video version on YouTube at That Girl the Podcast.